welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. We're starting a brand new series today, obviously, as we enter into Christmas. And I want to start by saying congratulations. You have made it to December. But not to put a damper on things, that means you have less than 30 days to accomplish your New Year's resolutions from uh, at the start of this year. So if you have not made it, you better get on it right now. This is my encouraging word to say, uh, you know, if, 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 there's, if there's money goals and saving you want to do, you're running out of time. Uh, you know, whatever it may be, you have made it to the end of the year, so congratulations. But you better get a move on when it comes to those resolutions. That has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. It's just an encouraging word and motivator just to let you know we have made it to the end of the year. And it is crazy to think that we've made it this far. It is wild and it blows my mind. But we're in the Christmas season, right? And Christmas gets busy. The whole season is busy. I remember as a child growing up and going to school, everything then revolves around Christmas, right? Your art, your art projects that you're doing in class, you're making some like Santa with like crinkly legs that bounce or something. I don't know. You know, it's like you're folding construction paper and be like, look what I made, you know, whatever. And you, you, you know, there's all these kind of things and everything centers around Christmas. All of your, your spelling words become things like sleigh bells and you're like, when I, why sleigh bells? You know, but it's things like that. You go, everything is, is Christmas is woven into all of it, you know? And so it's that time of year and things get busier and busier and busier. Now that we've hit December, it is party after party after party after party. You have 14 Christmas parties and they're all work related because you have to go to every departmental party. You have all this stuff, right? And and then when you're not doing work parties, you're running to family gatherings and all these different things. You're like, why do I have so much family in the first place? This is crazy, right? I'm just kidding. You don't think that. Please don't think that. That's not good. I don't think that. So... I do sometimes. My mom has a large family, so I just throw that out. My parents are here today, by the way. So uh, welcome, mom and dad. Thanks for being here. Come down. So, so it's Christmas time. So things are so busy, and, and we do all of these things. And it's not just us, right? This is around the world. This is a global phenomenon that the busyness ramps up. There's so many other things to do. And in the midst of all of that, we still have to go to work. We still have to be mom and dad. We still have to be husband and wife. We still have to be a student or whatever it may be and find time to go shopping amongst all of the crazy traffic that exists, first of all, in Dallas and then just increases because now everybody else is out to do shopping. And somehow in the midst of all of that, we are willing to endure it every single year, all because one little baby. I remember, I, I just love the, the song, the whole, a baby changes everything, right? You get that whole deal, and it's like, it does, and, and that's true in your own life, right? I remember having a child myself, and you're like, man, things just got crazier, but no child has ever caused as much commotion as Jesus, the birth of this child was, was a significant event in its time, right? Even, even God stopped the heavens and made the angels come in the multitudes to sing because he says, this is a big deal. This is a big moment. So we stop every year in the month of December. Christmas, sure, it's celebrated on one day a year, but the reality is it's the whole month of December, right? And so my hope through this next, next few weeks as we work through Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that, that we develop a sense of understanding and, and appreciation for the child that came. Because that child causes us to do so many things this time of year and, and to get so busy, all in celebration of a baby. And it's significant in, 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 in what it is and understanding that, that his birth 
means more than any other child who's ever come. And you may say, well, I've got great kids. That's great. So do I. But their birth fails to compare to the significance of the birth of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So let's look at this real fast. In in chapter 9 of of verse 6 of of Isaiah, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you, God, that, that you would send your son. God, we thank you that we get to take this time of year to celebrate that he has come for us. And Lord, I pray that as we speak today, as we work through this, this, this verse, Lord, as we begin this series, that you will anoint my lips to, to lay the foundation for what needs to be said over these next few weeks. We thank you for it. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So real quick, just understanding the book of Isaiah. Isaiah would have been a prophet, or he is, was a prophet in his time, and the book of Isaiah is a prophetic book, right? It's full of prophetic words and given, given to Isaiah, and also possibly various other prophets, and it's all compiled into this book, right? And now there's a lot of neat parallels with the book of Isaiah and the rest of the Bible in that there's 66 chapters, there's 66 books, all this kind of things. But, but you have to understand that when the word is given in the time of Isaiah, when this is given, it was not anticipated that it would be hundreds of years later, right? This is almost a message of deliverance and of excitement that is coming from Isaiah. They're reading this and the hope and the anticipation of the Hebrew people there in Judah at the time would have been that, hey, this is just around the corner. This is coming in just a moment, right? And so they're excited and there's this great anticipation of of this this ruler who's going to come and the government will rest on his shoulders. He's going to sit on the throne of David and he's going to conquer the rest of the world and everyone will be at our submission, right? This is the idea and the thought. They thought that he is coming imminently. This is happening next week. That's kind of the, the impression and the feel. But then we look in the New Testament, and Isaiah is quoted all throughout the New Testament, and Matthew was particularly fond of Isaiah. And what we find here is that Matthew, having the understanding and the realization that the Messiah has come and that he was fulfilled in the embodiment of Jesus Christ, he looks then at Isaiah as an opportunity to say, look, this man has fulfilled the prophecy. Whereas the, the, the Jews in the time, the traditional mindset and thought process in that time was that the Messiah had not yet come and they rejected Jesus, right? And we understand this, we know this. And they would view Isaiah as, as the foundation to read through in order to find the right person that fits the framework while rejecting the only person who fits the framework of the prophecies of the Messiah. So Matthew looks at it and says, no, 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 no. Here is the person who is the embodiment of the Messiah. And here's how it lines up with scripture, right? And so we have the opportunity and the privilege now of reading through Isaiah with the understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies, which is an exciting, th- exciting thing for us because we don't have to then go and sit and wonder and, and, and go, oh, is this ever going to happen? Is this scripture going to be fulfilled? Is this prophecy ever coming true? But we know that Jesus has come. So we have the leg up then on, on those that are sitting there going, maybe one day this prophecy will be fulfilled. Maybe one day this will happen. But the reality is it has been fulfilled. There's a couple of things that I want to walk through today as we begin to lay the groundwork for the rest of the series as we begin to get into the names that he shall be called as we read in the verse. The first thing I want to talk about is this, 
is, is that first little bit. We're going to work through those first three lines today. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And, and the first thing is this, is it had to be a child. It had to be a child. There's significance. What I love is, 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 is the, uh, the fact sometimes that I think even in prophetic words, they didn't fully grasp the significance of it, right? Um, I was reading in a commentary this week, and it says, you know, yes, in the, in the moment, there is a specific meaning, and once it's written on text, the meaning is set. However, there is limitless significance. We find that the significance carries on. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in, in the illumination of the Word of God, right? It is alive and active. So we find that, that, that he may not have known fully what he was saying in the moment because he had not yet seen the fulfillment of the prophecy, so it had to be a child. And, and here's, here's what I know is this. God in all of his wisdom knows exactly what he's doing, right? We can all agree that his ways are higher than ours. His, his, his wisdom is infinitely greater than our understanding. He knew that it had to be a child. Now we know that God and his power and his, his abilities could have sent a man. He could have said, you know what? I'm going to do like I did with Adam. I'm going to create a man and I'm going to send him to earth. And he is going to be an incredible specimen of a human being. He's going to look like he's chiseled out of marble and he's going to be just glorious. You know, this, this being that people go, that's the man I want to be friends with. I want to walk next to that guy, right? You know, that kind of thing. He could have sent a man fully grown and ready to, ta- to take on whatever was, he was up against, ready to conquer any enemies that were coming against the Israelites at the time. He has that authority. He has that power. He has that capability. And he chose not to. He chose to send a child. He could have sent an angel. He could have said, Gabriel, come here. Listen, we're going to do a little bit of a change of assignments here. I've got a new task and a new plan for you. I need you to go down to earth Reveal yourself to all. You are now going to be the savior of the world. Flap your wings a few times. They will be in awe of you. End of story. Right? That could have been a possibility. He also could have sent somebody that that came down and that was just deity. He could have removed the human aspect from Jesus altogether and said, just go and just be God. Just go and be the embodiment of God on earth without the human side of things whatsoever. But, but he refused all of that and said, no, 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 no. We need him to be a child. We need him to be a child. And there's significance in that. And this, as being born as a child, being born as a child allowed him then to grow as a person, as a human. See, we understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is the embodiment of both, right? He is both human and both, and both God which is a hard concept sometimes to grasp and understand. But just on this moment right now, because we're not going to go into that in detail, just trust me, okay? And so we'll work on that at another time. But we find that he sends him as a man, as a child, because what happens then is now Jesus grows up and experiences the hurt of falling and, and, and scraping his knee. He experiences the hurt of losing someone close to him to the point uh, of being in, in anguish and to the point of being in, in sorrow. And we find that at when, when his friend Lazarus dies, it says that Jesus wept. He understands pain because he's human. He had to be a child because he had to grow and experience life because that allows him then when it comes to the moment of the cross to be sympathetic and go, I feel the hurt. I know the pain. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a gentleman sitting out in front of the church and I was leaving. I was about to go home. Didn't know he was there and he was tucked into the corner and, and, and I said, hey, can I help you? He said, man, I'm just trying to get out of the wind. It was a colder day and he was wearing shorts and he had like a hoodie and he was on his bicycle. And... And I could tell that, that, that 
that he was really down on his luck in the moment. I said, can I get you anything? Can I, is there any, you know, can I get you some food? And he was like, man, that'd be great. And so I came back in and I knew I had some food and stuff in here and I went and grabbed the food that I could get and I handed it to him. And, um, and he started talking to me and, he, and we started having conversation about his life and things that he had walked through and, and, and what he was trying to do in the moment. He's like, I got to keep moving because, you know, the, the police won't let me just sit here. I've got to keep moving. And I said, man, I get it. I understand. And he goes, you don't. And that's okay. Uh, and it was a, the realization in the moment of, I don't. I don't, I can't fully sympathize with him. I, I can't empathize with the position that he's in and the situation that he's in. I can't fully grasp and understand the, 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 what he is walking through and dealing with in his life as somebody who is, who is homeless and, and, and separated from family and separated from all things and, and having to constantly move so that the police don't move him along and, and asking for food without asking for food. And, and in the moment I said, can I pray with you? He said, I wish you would. And I start to pray and he just begins to weep and, and we just begin to see this moment of somebody who is fully broken and I can't fully sympathize. That's why it had to be a child. Because Jesus needed to be able to fully sympathize and have that complete understanding. We see Jesus in the garden and he's about to go to the cross and he says, go, oh, he says, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. He's hurting already. He's he's going, this is gonna be painful. I'm gonna experience pain that I've never known, physical pain that I've never walked with. But because he is feeling the weight of all of it, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Because he understood. He knew the torment that he was going to walk through. And he knew that if he didn't, we all would have to. He knew that that was the only way for the price for our sin, to pay the penalty, the, the, the complete atonement that was needed. It had to be a child. He had to come as a human and the way humans come so that he could sympathize. So that he could sympathize. The second thing is this, he had to be given. He had to be given. 9.6 says, a son was given. Now what we see here in, in, in the text is this, that the reality is, is what, what the writer is doing, what Isaiah is doing in this moment is he is repeating himself essentially, right? And what happens in, in traditional Jewish writings is the repetition is there to add emphasis, to say, this is what it will be, right? A, a, a child is born, a son is given. He's just repeating himself in essence. But what happens is through, through the word of the Holy Spirit and through the leading and the writing is that, that there is deeper significance to what's being said, which is incredible because in the moment, I don't know, Isaiah may have known specifically and directly what he was doing in the moment. However, I also like to give Holy Spirit credit for his leading in the moment in the writing that's happening. And what we find is he says, a son is given because what it is is more than just a child being born is that the father was giving his son. And there's deep significance to that. He's saying, I am willing to allow my son, who has been deity since before creation, since the beginning of all times, Jesus has always been and existed as the son of God. And he's saying he's always been deity and he will continue to exist long into eternity from forever. And he says, I am willing in this moment because I see the need. I know that there is a, a real need for a savior. I am going to give you my son. He had to be given which means he, he said, you're gonna take on human form. You're gonna, you're gonna deal with, with the hurts and the pains that they walk with. You're gonna deal with more pain than you've ever known. And you're gonna have to give your life so that they can all have these things. And he says, and I'm willing to give you up. 
I think sometimes that that's hard to wrap our minds around and to really grasp that the only way to fully get it is to try to put ourselves in his shoes, in, in, in God's shoes. Now, obviously, those would be big shoes to fill. And so we're not trying to stay there. We're just for the mental purpose of this and grasping this. In 1937, there was a man by the name of John Griffith. John Griffith and his family, they lived in Oklahoma, and he had found a steady job out, out east and, uh, as a drawbridge uh, workman. So what he did was he would lift and lower the drawbridge. He would pull the levers, and it would go up and down. It was his wife, and they had an eight-year-old son. And so they move out there and they get this job and he's loving his job. It's a steady job. So there's, there's, there's consistent income for his family. And this is a big deal. In 1937, this is a great deal, right? We're just coming out of the, the Great Depression and all these things. So this is a great moment of, of, of hey, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. So they move out, uh, move out east and he's working this job. And his son and him were very, very close. They were very close did things with them all the time. He, he loved to get to be home with them and to play with them. And one day he decided, hey, why don't you come to work with me? I want to show you what I do. And so they go and they get to work and he's showing them all the levers. He's like, look, this one, I push it this way. And then I pull that one. And all of a sudden the bridge comes up. And then if I do this and push this, all of a sudden it all goes back down and the trains can pass through. When it comes up, the large boats can come through. And, and he's showing them all of these different things. And his son's just loving it. He walks out on this huge catwalk, showing them the bridge. They walk out on the bridge. He's looking at everything. And it's this awesome moment. And his son is loving every minute of it. And as a father, he is overjoyed with the, with the love that he has for his son as he sees the excitement that he's having. It became lunchtime and he said, hey, let's go sit out on this catwalk over the bridge and let's, and let's go eat our lunch. So they walk out there. And while they're sitting there, he starts talking to his son about how everything works in, in time. All these boats are moving at the same time. All the trains are right on time. Everything is just, it is it's calculated, it's scheduled, everything's moving, and his son's going, no way. He's, you know, eight years old. He's like, I don't believe it. And his dad pulls out his watch and says, 107. He says, actually, I need to run back real fast. You stay right here. He had him in a place that was safe. It was okay. And as he runs back to go take care of everything, his son begins to feel fear of being alone out on this bridge. So he thinks, I'm gonna run back to dad. As he's running back, He's trying to yell for his dad, and his dad doesn't hear him. His dad looks back, and he starts surveying the, the landscape. He checks the river in both directions, making sure that if he lowers this bridge, no huge boat is coming through. And, and if, 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 if the, making sure he sees the train is coming, he sees the smoke coming over the hills from around the corner, and he's noticing he's right on time. And he goes, and he's just about to lower the bridge when he looks and realizes that his son has slipped and fallen into the gears of the bridge. This train is coming, and it was a passenger train. It was called the Memphis Express. It had 400 passengers on the, on the train. And the train is coming, and his son has slipped and fallen into the gears. And when he notices it, he begins to weep and begins to cry, and he's trying to get his son's attention, but he's stuck. He's stuck in the gears, and he can't get out. And he begins to have this turmoil in his mind of, do I not lower it, and all of these people die so I can save my son or do I lower the bridge so 400 people can live, but I lose my son? So as he waits, he's turmoiling. There's this, this, this constant struggle in that he's having internally where he's going, if I wait any longer, I'll lose all of them. 
And now his tears have turned into a full sob and he is weeping and weeping and broken and hurting, knowing what he has to do. And when with one last scream and cry, he pulls the lever and begins to lower the bridge. Noticing that the train hasn't slowed down at all. And then the fear of, did I wait too long? Did I wait too long? As it gets closer and closer and closer, finally it lowers all the way. The train passes over without ever knowing anything has ever happened. While he sits in his booth and begins to weep and cry because his son has just been given for their lives. That is what the Father did for us. That is what God did for us. He had to be given. He had to be given. As he sits in heaven and he watches his son that he has just given to humanity be beaten, be hung on the cross and given for us. He knew he had to be given. But it wasn't easy nonetheless. It wasn't easy nonetheless. He had to be given. And the third thing is this, he carries the authority. Now you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Ryan, this does not feel like a Christmas message whatsoever. This feels like Good Friday or Easter. And the reality is, the, the truth of the matter is, and this is our, our big thought today, is that without the birth, there is no cross or resurrection. That is why Christmas is significant. Because without the Son, we don't have salvation. We don't have that moment. We have to understand something. This is the, the, the fact that the government rests on his shoulders is significant. It is important, right? In the Jewish context in that world, they were excited for a king to come and sit on David's throne. They were excited for someone to come and sit and rule over all people and over all things and say, yes, we have the authority. We have our, our Messiah. He has come. But Jesus is saying, you, you, you know, you misunderstood what my purpose and my role was. You misunderstood how I would sit on the throne. They were hoping he was going to come and overthrow the government and all of these things and he was going to have control. In fact, when we look at the, when we understand fully what it is that, that, that the scripture is saying is that, that the government will rest on his shoulders. The word government, the Hebrew word means uh, essentially the position of ruler or king, right? So saying the government will rest on his shoulders. So he's the king, but then the shoulders is, is bearing the burden. So he's bearing the burden of all authority. And here's what we find if you read in, in Isaiah 9, verse 7. The very next verse, it speaks to us a little bit about the, the role of, uh, that he will do. He says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with, this is important, justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish all of this. First of all, we have to understand that there's no end to his reign. He was born as a child, given so that we could have salvation. And the greatest part is this, there is no end to his reign. There's no end to his reign, but you have to understand that it says that, that he will rule with justice and righteousness. See, we have to wrap our minds around, sometimes this is where people struggle, is the fact that he is a just God, meaning that there is penalty or consequences for wrongdoing, right? It's the same way our, our judicial system, our, our justice system works now, in theory, is that when there is something done wrong, there is a penalty that matches or is the consequences that line up with it. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin 
is death. And it's an eternal death, right? And so we find that. So God is just, and people struggle with that. But here's the greatest part about that, is that he also rules with righteousness. And the best part is, when we accept Christ, we are then clothed in his righteousness. That's remarkable. So when we understand that he had to come as a child to fully sympathize and understand and feel the hurt and know the pain that we deal with and that we carry, he had to come as a child and he had to be given so that his love could be poured out, so his blood could be shed, so that grace could be given, so that when we accept Christ, we are then clothed in his righteousness so that we are now drawn back together to the Father because it's that sin that pulls us apart and separates us. And in that separation, they ha- he has to give justice because he is a just God. But he made a way so that we could be brought together again with the Father through his righteousness. That is something to be excited about. That makes Christmas worth it. To me, that makes Christmas worth celebrating. When we say Jesus is the reason for the season, it's not just this catchy, cliche kind of saying that we have, but the reality is he came so that he could lay down his life for you and I. He could lay down his life for all of humanity, all of mankind. That if we would stop and recognize our need for a savior, humble ourselves and ask the Father to forgive us our sins and to come into our life, we can have eternal life. That is remarkable. Without the birth, there is no cross or resurrection. Without the birth, there is no salvation. It's a significant moment. There's so much theology wrapped up in just those three lines of this verse that at just first glance you go, oh, okay, so he was a child and he was given and there's government. Which, you know, in this day and age, people don't want to talk government. You know, they invite you over for a dinner party. Like, are we going to be talking politics or having fun? Like, that's the way the word, you know, I don't want to have that conversation. I wonder if, if, if in some of that, if, if, if the Jewish people were all excited, right? Going, yes, he's going to have the government on his shoulders. And then they start talking about, well, I'm pretty sure he's going to be doing this, this, and this. And they're like, he better not. I disagree with you. You know, I'm sure those conversations existed. That's the way the world works. Because there was a misunderstanding as to why he was coming. And now we are on the other side of this where we get to look and say, we know why he was coming. We know what the scripture and the, and the prophecies mean now. We know what it means that he will rule and reign. And that day is coming, in fact, where he will rule and reign over all things. And, and, and the Bible says that he's taken his place at the right hand of the Father. So he's sitting there on the throne. You know, he's, he is ready to, to reign forever. And that time will come. But right now, we have the opportunity to ask him to reign in our hearts and reign in our lives. I'm going to invite the worship team to join us. I love Christmas. I love, I love all the things about Christmas. I, I do. I, I truly do. I, I, love, I love time with family. I, I love eating. I, you know. I love gifts. I love giving them. I love getting them. Uh, you know, we like looking at Christmas lights and decorating and all of the fun things that go with Christmas. Christmas is great. Christmas is wonderful. The holiday that it has become is fun. It's good. But if we allow those things to take the place of why we celebrate and we don't take time, let me challenge you as parents. 
teach your children why we celebrate Christmas. Teach them why we celebrate Christmas. Don't let it just become another part of of the commercialized holiday that it is, but make sure we do not lose significance of the birth of Jesus in our celebration of Christmas. I challenge you this month in your homes to, to promote Jesus as the reason in explaining why we celebrate Jesus in this, in this moment of, 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 of going to Bethlehem and in a manger, this baby came and shepherds came after angels, multitudes, millions of angels came and sang to them and said, you better go check out what's happening. That's why we're all here to tell you. And they're like, we're just shepherds. Why are you here? And they're like, because you're the closest. And so we told you, I'm just kidding. That's not that, but. But don't lose the significance of Christmas through this season. Don't lose the significance. Because it's not even just about the birth. That is only the starting point. It's about his death and resurrection. The birth was significant because it led to his birth and resurrection, his death and resurrection. I had a professor in college, her name is Dr. Otwell. And uh, I'm pretty sure she has the Holy Spirit on speed dial at all times. She's incredible. And, and she doesn't put up Christmas decorations in the traditional sense. When you drive by her house, she has a cross in the front yard with a light on it. And it's, it's significant when you go, yeah, that makes sense. That is why we celebrate Christmas. And it's just that subtle message of don't forget why we celebrate Christmas. Don't forget that. Father, we love you. God, you're so good. Lord, in your infinite wisdom, you understood exactly what we needed as a savior. God, we can ask questions and we say, Lord, why didn't you just do it this way? Why didn't you, why didn't you come this way? Why didn't you send a, a different, why didn't you send Jesus as fully God? Why did you have to make him a human? And we have these questions and we can walk through these thoughts and these ideas and we can turmoil with them in our minds and go back and forth. But in the end, Lord, you knew exactly what we needed. And that is why you did it the way you did it. That's why you did it the way you did it. Lord, you knew that he had to be given you knew ultimately that a price had to be paid. Ultimately, a price had to be paid. So you gave your son. You gave your son. And Father, you, you reign. Jesus, the government sits on your shoulders. You are just and you are righteous. And in your grace and your love, Lord, we can take on your righteousness. We can be clothed in righteousness and reunited with the Father. So God, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for this time because it gives us a moment to remember you. God, it gives us a moment to reflect on you. We thank you for that. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, in this room and you say, Pastor Ryan, I, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. I need to ask him into my heart. And if that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand. One, two, three. Real simple. Real simple this morning. If you need Jesus in your heart, if you need Jesus in your life to lead you, Father, we thank you, Lord, that those of us in this room know you. 
God, that those of us in this room have a relationship with you. Those of us with you in this room are connected to you. God, I pray that your spirit will be alive and active in us. Lord, God, I pray that there, there will be something about us that attracts the lost to us. God, that you make us an irresistible church in Lake Highlands and East Dallas. God, that you will make us irresistible to those around us. God, that, that we will be able to see the lost come into our church so that we can show them Jesus. So that we can show them Jesus. God, I pray over every household in our church. God, that during this time, during this season, that, that we do not lose sight of why we celebrate Christmas. That we don't lose sight that Jesus came for our salvation. He didn't come so that, that we could celebrate stars and that we could talk about wise men and shepherds. Lord, he didn't come so that, that we can reenact a, a scene in a manger with animals. God, he didn't come just so that we could celebrate the birth of a child. He came so that we could have eternal life. So God, I pray that, that we remember that, that we, we teach that in our homes. Or that we instill that in our homes, that we, we allow our, our, our children to know why we celebrate Christmas. And we thank you for that. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let me challenge you to do one thing. If you have children, ask them today why we celebrate Christmas. Let that be kind of a litmus test. Let's find out where are they at? Where, what do they know? What do they understand? What do, what, do they, what do they get? And now if they say, you know, gifts and whatnot, don't, obviously don't like chastise them. Just take that as an opportunity to go, well, let's talk about Jesus. Let's teach them the word of God in our homes. Amen? Amen. Our children need to know biblical values. They need to know what the word of God says. They have to know. Father, we praise you. We give you glory and honor. We ask that your hand will be on them today. Father, as they go, Lord, I pray that you let us walk in your love and, and walk in your grace with each other. Lord, we praise you and we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.